0: Snop Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, the 24th of May. And shout out to you if you've been out at an auction over the weekend and been outpriced by some baby boomer with deep pockets. Um, For anyone trying to buy their first property, it has been a wild ride this year to see prices surging, not just in cities, but also in regional Australia. So on today's briefing, some sage advice from a trusted economist, how not to lose your mind when you see the property market surging away from you. That underlying demand for
1: property isn't there until the borders reopen. So that could be just one little thing that makes this boom peter out.
0: Yeah, and some more interesting advice there from Stephen Kukoulos later on the briefing. How to buy your first property when it feels like prices are completely out of control. That is today's briefing. First, Anikis Mathis is back
2: with today's headlines. The federal government has promised 2 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine every week from October Enough for everybody who wants to get the jab by Christmas, Tom.
3: If we get all these doses from uh, Pfizer that we're expecting, and if we are continuing to increase our numbers of AZ, we could have the whole population vaccinated by the end of the year.
0: Well, that sounds pretty good. That's the Australian Medical Association President, Dr Omar Korshid. Um... Yeah, maybe a late finish, a run to the finish line, Annika.
2: No, I still don't know how we're going to get these jabs in people's arms. Greg Hunt also said that the timeline was dependent on consistent supply and people should still get the AstraZeneca vaccine where it's available. Yeah, that's a tricky
0: message to get out, though, isn't it? It seems a lot of people want to wait until the Pfizer jab is available.
2: I feel very frustrated by this. It mm. is. So safe, you know, there is a very tiny risk of blood clots and I'm not downplaying that, but I speak to people I know in Europe and they find it incredibly frustrating and bizarre that Australians aren't locked, you know, lining up for this. We talked about this for so long. Hunt has also said over the weekend that the government may consider introducing a second COVID-19 test for return travellers from countries Except New Zealand. So it looks like there's slight movements, Tom, to maybe not quarantine ourselves down here in the corner of the world.
0: Right. So how would that work, the second test? Would that mean if you if you passed the second test then you wouldn't have to quarantine?
2: That's the sort of, uh, I guess, noises the government has been making. Mm. We do know that they're looking at Singapore as perhaps the next hub that we might be able to go to in a similar way to New Zealand. But it's not just going to be like New Zealand where you can fly in and out. There might be hubs where there's a lower risk. Maybe you only do one week quarantine. Maybe mm. if you've had the vaccine, you only have to take a test and quarantine until it comes back negative. It looks like there won't be a standard rule for everybody. It will depend on the risk of the country, but it's much better than the current situation, I think.
0: And a second plane load of return travellers from India has made it back and been transferred to quarantine at Howard Springs.
3: After 14 days, I will be going home and I will be very, very excited to get back home and uh, start my normal life.
2: You can hear the relief there. That was Sandeep Benoel, one of those return travellers, speaking to the ABC from the Howard Springs facility. Now, 165 Australian residents and citizens were allowed onto the flight from Delhi, which touched down in Darwin yesterday morning.
0: Yeah, so that's the second flight that's come back. The first flight was half full. This one was full. So that's good news. And there are eight more flights uh, scheduled in the next two weeks. If they're all full, like the plane that just landed, that will mean... Uh, More than a 1,000 people, which is the number of vulnerable travellers, will be able to get back in the next two weeks. So it looks like that is starting to take shape, Annika, uh, I guess restarting the travel back from India. I've also noticed that the case numbers have started to drop in India, the daily case numbers, and the daily deaths are plateauing as well. So there are some positive signs coming from what's been a devastating outbreak.
2: Yeah, it's still a pretty grim situation, but as you say, it's improving. Qantas is also now using a different company to test passages for the Mm. virus after a number of those were turned away and then later tested negative for coronavirus.
0: (music) And a big warning to the federal Labor Party, Uh, New South Wales Labor's been smashed in a by-election in coal country over the weekend.
2: Even though the outgoing National Party MP Michael Johnson was ousted after accusations he raped a sex worker, the party's new candidate still held the seat with a strong swing towards the Nats. Yeah, so we're talking
0: about the the New South Wales seat of Upper Hunter and there are lots of um, coal mines and power plants in that area. So... What are we reading into this, Anika? Uh,
2: A few things. Look, governments tend to be punished by voters at by-elections. It's a way that you can go, I still support the government, but I want to show them I'm angry. So sometimes they suffer swings of up to 10%. Had that have been the case, this seat's only got a margin of about 3%, they would have lost it. But instead there was a swing towards the National Party and away from Labor. Now, this has people pretty worried, especially ahead of a federal election, that the Labor Party is struggling to speak to people that they once used to be able to speak to, workers. They were the party of workers. To make matters worse, the seat includes the hometown of Jenny McKay, who's the Labor Party's leader in New South Wales. So now people are looking at um, her position and it's, uh, I guess, in a little bit of strife. It also has federal implications though, Tom.
0: So if you look back at the last federal election in 2019, the government basically won because they won over all the coal country voters in Queensland and saw a massive swing towards them. So for Labor, they're in a bit of a bind at the moment, aren't they? Because they want to do more on climate change, even though they're sort of dancing around that and taking a position that's fairly similar to the federal government. But most voters know that. And that plays well in the cities where the majority of our populations are. But it's a lot of these seats in coal mining areas that are actually the swing seats that can determine an election and it seems the Coalition are outgunning them massively there.
2: And at a federal level, Joel Fitzgibbon represents the seat of Hunter. He's been quite outspoken saying that Labor are unable to talk to these people anymore. He used to have a huge margin. That slipped away quite a lot at the last federal election and this will almost be proof of what he's saying. Or well, that's what Joel Fitzgibbon will be saying anyway. <laughs>
0: And there's more fallout from the 1995 BBC Martin Bashir, Princess Diana interview.
2: Bashir has told the Sunday Times he never wanted to harm the princess and regretted forging bank statements as part of his efforts to secure that interview.
0: Yeah, he says the fake statements didn't impact her decision to do the interview and that he wasn't to blame for her death. But now the British government's weighing in on this. The Home Affairs Secretary Priti Patel uh, said overnight the BBC's reputation's been highly damaged by the saga. And the boss of the BBC at the time, Sir Tony Hall, has now stood down as chairman of London's National Gallery. So there's clearly a lot of soul searching going on there, Annika.
2: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It just shows uh, there is a cost. It's not get the story at all cost. As a lot of journalists Mm. will tell you, there is a cost to this. And whilst you can't take away, I guess, what Princess Diana said in that interview, I guess the reasons she decided to say it are now compromised. And the frontman of Italy's Eurovision winning band has promised to take a drug test after he was suspected of using cocaine during yesterday's competition.
0: So Damiano David said he'd take the test as soon as he got home to Italy after this footage emerged of him leaning down to a table and then quickly ripping his head up like he was snorting a line of cocaine.
2: But David said he had been looking down at a glass broken by his bandmates And competition organisers say they later found broken glass under the band's table.
0: Yeah, anyway, it is overshadowing the amazing (laughs) result. Uh, His heavy rock band Maniskin took home first place for Italy at the song competition yesterday off the back of a very strong public vote. So congratulations to them. All right, Annika, we'll speak to you tomorrow. Up after this message, Katrina Blaus joins us as we get some sage advice on what can be a very difficult housing market. All right, now to today's briefing, how to keep you cool when the property market looks like it's surging completely out of your reach. Good afternoon, everyone. We have a one-bedroom half-bathroom
3: hellhole for you today, ladies and gentlemen.
0: So this is a skit from comedian Mark Humphreys, which kind of sums up the house-pricing nightmare for young buyers, right, Katrina?
3: Yeah, he's taking the piss out of a recent sale in the inner west of Sydney, where a firebomb of a one-bedroom terrace went for, wait for it, $1.62 million.
0: Make no mistake, given this auction is taking place in an Australian capital city, this dilapidated rat shack will be sold today. Today's property has a beautiful living room bathed in natural light thanks to a generous hole in the ceiling and some stunning (laughs) interiors with turn-of-the-century mould. If only the auctioneers were that honest.
3: I know. It's sad, but it's also true. And that sale was a really frightening one to watch for anyone who's trying to crack the market at the moment because it's reflective of that huge price surge that's been going on through the start of the year.
0: Yeah, so when you look at the figures, in Sydney, for example, prices went up 6.7% in the first three months of this year. So that's about $60,000 on the median dwelling price. If that growth continued all year, so for the next three quarters you'd be paying $250,000 extra on a dwelling if you waited out the year.
3: Oh, it's enough to give you anxiety. And it's not just the big cities like Sydney where this was happening. Regional values went up 6.3% in that March quarter. So if that keeps going, then the median dwelling price in regional Australia would be up around one hundred and ten grand over the year.
0: Yeah, it's hectic. Thankfully, growth is starting to flatten. And we'll touch on that more in our interview, but it's just been a wild ride for young people getting blasted at auctions. And it's pushed up those already pretty big barriers to getting your first home.
3: So Tom, in the early 90s, the average age for someone buying their first home was 27. And now it's more likely to be age 36. So it's taken a lot longer for people to save up
0: Yeah, so clearly it's getting harder, but when you drill into the numbers, low interest rates actually appear to be balancing out the overall affordability question. So one of the best measures for housing affordability is the percentage of your income that you're spending on a mortgage. And that's actually come down slightly in the last 10 years. In 2009, people were spending 36% of their income on their mortgage. In 2019, that was down to 34%. So it's sort of come down slightly.
3: So I guess, does this mean that we shouldn't be balking at these outrageous prices that we're seeing? And this is essentially the argument economist Stephen Kukulis is making. He's an economist who's worked for some big global banks, and he's also advised the Gillard government. And he joins us on the briefing today.
0: Stephen Kukulis, thanks for joining us on the briefing. We've spoken a few times before. um, We were in an intergenerational squabble on TV a few years ago, and we got you onto the show because you were making the argument that for all this whinging and moaning about housing affordability for Gen Y, it's not that bad because of interest rates. Is that still your position?
1: The good news is that interest rates are now incredibly low that it's relatively easy to get a mortgage around about 2.5%. And so, while prices are up, and yes, your borrowing's gone up to to compensate, to get your foot in the door, so to speak, the actual proportion of your income allocated to a mortgage, because interest rates are low, are broadly where they were five years ago and 10 and even 20 years ago.
0: The obvious hole in that argument is what if interest rates go up because long term borrowing costs are already rising as inflation starts to pick up around the world. And so we could be saddled with these massive debts, which is pretty scary. So while it's affordable at this point in time, there's a lot of concern that it won't be going forward.
1: There's no doubt that interest rates won't be going lower than they are now. Mm. So it's a question of when and how much rates rise. So and that does well put a hole in, in my argument to some extent. So I think that the banks now are also stress-testing new borrowers so that if you're going there and you rock up for your loan and you prove your income and all these sorts of things and you qualify for your loan, they do actually stress-test it. They do put into their mortgage calculator an interest rate that's about 2% higher than it is today. And if you can still make those repayments, they'll lend you the money. If you can't, well, then you may have trouble getting that loan. But for here and now, getting your foot in the door, history shows that buying a house to live in pays off over many, many years. You just have to look at where prices were 10, 20, 30 years ago and think, gee, if only uh, I'd bought in then.
3: Don't we all have those uh, (laughs) reflections in hindsight? Now, Stephen, we're talking about mortgage repayments on the one hand, which, you know, you can make that argument that most of us can afford that when we look at what we are paying comparatively with rental prices. But we also need a deposit. And that is a huge barrier for entry for many young people.
1: It is. Uh, There are a couple of aspects to the deposit too, and this is part of my conversation from years ago, and it still is today. Clearly, if you want to avoid paying mortgage insurance, you need the 20% deposit. However, it is possible to borrow 90, 95% of the value of the property. In the scheme of buying A property for argument's sake six, seven hundred thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars isn't going to necessarily be the straw that bakes the camel's back. And if it allows you to get your foot in the door when house prices are likely to trend up, over the next decade, it's worth perhaps paying that mortgage insurance, going to a lender who will lend you the 90 or 95 percent, you know, switch to baked beans on toast for, for a while and, and make your repayments.
0: All right. I'm glad you didn't mention smashed avocado there. That would have sent us into a, w- a real rabbit hole. No way. I don't touch no. that anymore. No, no that's, that's <laughs> toxic in the property conversation. Your argument does make a lot of sense. So if you are buying a house, say, for $600,000, that saving 10% of that's $60,000 will take you a few years, but to then get to one hundred and twenty dollars is another few years, so you're better off just spending the ten grand on the mortgage insurance. But it just feels like such a rip-off, Stephen, mortgage insurance.
1: Like most insurance, it's a rip-off if you uh, never claim it. It's like you're... Uh uh, insurance if your house burns down. Well, my house hasn't burned down, so what a waste of money that's been all my life. But the day it does burn down, you'll be very grateful that you have it. So, look, it, it's there to protect the banks more than to protect the yeah. borrower. That uh, the banks, are lending you a, a chunk of money, let's, you know, many hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you default uh, for whatever reason, it could be ill health, you lose your job, something happens uh, completely outside your control in a sense, and you default on the mortgage. Then of course the bank can get their money back, so to speak. And I would note too that there's been a lot of the state and territory governments, as well as the Commonwealth government, have ramped up some of their assistance for first home buyers. So if you're a first home buyer, you get some stamp duty relief, which can save you lots of money. You get a bit of a cash grant too, which gives you a little bit more of a a foot into the market too. So there's some conflicting things that are going on when it comes to people stepping up for their first mortgage.
3: Now, you've said before that a lot of young people are scared away by sticker shock. Would you mind explaining what that means?
1: Sticker shock, I think, is when you just go to an auction or you're browsing through the web pages on what's for sale, you see the proverbial little shoebox of an apartment and you see it for a huge amount of money. You think, oh my God, that is just so much money. I'm not even going to bother to look because it's such a large amount of money for such a, a small property. That scares people. That that puts them off. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know too many people. In fact, I don't know anybody who bought a property ten, let alone twenty years ago, who regrets the decision. Even at the time, if they had to beg, steal, and borrow to to get into the property market, and, and sticker shock was around all those years ago too.
3: We keep hearing that the bubble is going to burst. <laughs> what do you reckon? I've been hearing it for years. Is it going to burst, or is it just going to keep ever expanding?
1: I've been hearing it for years too, and it hasn't happened. We've had we've had a few stints where prices have been slightly lower. In fact, even in the middle of last year, in the in the depths of the COVID um, lockdowns. Prices did fall in Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and, and cities like that. They did fall about 5 or 6%. So not massive, but we opened up our internal borders and, and things boomed again. There is one thing that's just giving me pause for thought right now, and that is the fact that our international borders are closed to immigration. Mm. One of the things that's driven housing and house prices in Australia is immigration. People coming here, they need a house to live in, whether they rent or buy doesn't really matter. And the fact that we've got immigration at a big fat zero at the moment means that that underlying demand for property isn't there until the borders reopen. So that could be just one little thing that makes this boom that we're seeing now peter out without interest rate hikes.
0: I know for a lot of young people, when you watch those newspaper articles, um, like the crazy one better in Camperdown that sold (laughs) last week for 1.6 million that was rat infested and one bedroom and you couldn't live in it, you feel this pit in your stomach, this churn, you're like, I'm going to get priced out of my own city and you start to panic. Yeah. And so, mm. so part of your lizard brain wants to just rush in and, <laughs> and jump in there. What do you do if, you, if you're watching that and you're feeling very uncomfortable and how do you I guess, read the future conditions.
1: In terms of that anxiety about getting a mortgage, in in a sense, the the curious thing is, even in a low-wage environment, if you just get average wage increases, in three years' time, you'll probably be earning 10% more than you are today. But at the end of the day, it's still probably not a bad idea to sort of see if you can get your foot in the door, take a deep breath, and owning a property is... And it's proven to be one of your best financial decisions because any gains are tax-free. They're exempted from things like pensions uh, for when you do mm. get you know, near my age and all the rest of it. And it does make a difference.
0: So when you see it going off like it has you know, for the last quarter, do you need to panic and get in there? Or, or do you sense that, yeah. it, that it will flatten out and, and these are these sort of short-term surges that will, will flatten out over time?
1: The other thing to remember on the... On the housing market is that the incentives from the government for the builders uh, grants and these sorts of things, we've actually got a construction boom going on around Australia in most uh, capital cities and in some regions too. So we're getting this supply and demand dynamics. We're getting lots of properties being built. Obviously, we've got to wait till they're completed and people can move into them in six and nine and 12 months' time, but if the borders remain closed, I've got a sneaking suspicion that in the second half of 2021 and possibly into 2022, if the borders are still closed, that we're going to have all this newly constructed property flooding the market.
3: So, your takeaway to quote a famous footwear label, just do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would just do it, get into the property market would be my – recommendation with the perspective of 10 years. If it goes up next year, good on you. If it goes down next year, don't worry about it. But, you know, the house price volatility from quarter to quarter, year to year, doesn't matter much. But, you know, as you were alluding to, you look back at any house price uh, indicator going back 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, gee, oh, yeah, that, that that proverbial thing, Oh, why didn't mum and dad buy some more, more mm. property 30, 40, 50 years ago? Because uh, that would have been the thing to do.
0: Just do it. It does sound like real, the sort of advice you get from your parents, but Stephen Kokoulis happens to be a qualified economist, so it comes with a bit more weight. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Stephen Kokoulis, and I, I think that will be pretty handy advice, kind of calming the fury as you watch these crazy prices, Katrina
3: definitely because i think we often we read the headlines and we get so discouraged but to hear someone who i guess is that little bit older he's mm. seen a few bubbles come and go
0: long term trends
3: yeah yeah it made it's definitely made me feel a bit calmer about things
0: tomorrow on the briefing there's been a lot of civil unrest in colombia we'll find out what's going on there
3: Listener.